congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when the children read this story about David being anointed as king, and maybe as adults too, uh, boys and girls might think as you're reading that, that it, it's a great, sounds like a great deal like Cinderella. And I can understand why you might think that. Because everybody in the family is checked. And then finally, the one that's considered the least of all is the one that's mentioned and ends up having this happily ever after type of moment. Is there anyone else? Yes, there's the youngest. But he's out shepherding the sheep. But it sounds kind of like Cinderella, doesn't it? But David's story is different from Cinderella. For one thing, they were brothers and not sisters. And for another thing, these brothers were not ugly. Another important difference is that God wasn't looking at the outside, like when you read in the story of Cinderella. He was looking on the inside. And people so often want to look at the outside. It's epidemic in our society, actually. That's not where God looks, though. Because beauty isn't everything. It's what is on the inside that matters first with God. And boys and girls, that's and young adults, that's or young people, that's what you need to remember too. It's not how pretty your face that's going to matter. Because one day that isn't going to be so anymore. What's truly beautiful is a heart that loves the Lord and loves His people, because you know Jesus and what He's done. We're going to talk more about that in the sermon. Now, indeed, this is much more than a Cinderella story, and it's much more than just a David story about how the underdog wins. And, of course, we like those kind of stories. I, I for one, really do. I, I enjoy rooting for the underdog. I like hearing stories. Uh, you can talk to my family about that. I love reading stories or watching stories about people who weren't supposed to be anything, and they became something. I like reading those. Maybe you do, too. But this is more than that. This is a divine story. Because that's where we find our encouragement. It's in the prevalence of God, about how God is prevailing among his people, among his plans, with his values, with his grace. We get our greatest benefit from this story by seeing how God prevails and get reminded and assured about how God prevails. God wins. Especially after the rejection of God in a very dark moment in, God, in, in Israel's history at this point, where Saul is rejected as king. That prevalence that we see in this passage is that prevalence that we see continue today and is to be our, for our encouragement today. And it makes a difference about how we look at ourselves, we look at other people, and certainly how we look at God. We're called to profess it, in fact. We've seen four adults here do that. We see this prevalence in God's plans, values, and grace in this passage. We take a look at those for a moment. First, God's plans prevail. Saul's been rejected as king over God's people, and this rejection has caused Samuel, we see, to mourn. That's how we open up this passage. 
And it's not because Samuel doesn't think that that was the right thing for God to do, but now he's wondering what's going to happen to God's people now that evil has dealt his people such a blow. What happens to the kingdom of God? What happens to God's designs for his people? Samuel is mourning as someone who believes there's no other way but Saul. No hope for the future. How can he go on? How can he go on in obedience? You know, our mourning isn't always that profound, is it? We have to admit that at times our mourning or our low moments have, have nothing to do with whether or not God's kingdom is going to prevail. How it's going to proceed. Or if good is going to prevail over evil. Our mourning can be because we didn't get our way. That can happen in your households and people are crying because they don't get their way. You know, and as parents we want to cave into that sometimes because we figure we can, don't have to put up with the crying anymore if we let somebody have their way and that's a dangerous way to parent, of course. Or we, we mourn because we failed at something. We didn't win. <coughs> or we lost something and we can't find it. Now, of course, it can be very profound. We've been victimized by the power of evil. If you've ever had that, there's times where you might have been down on your knees because you were so profoundly affected by that. Or we mourn by the, because of the loss of others. Or we mourn because of the sins that we've committed. And we have this remorse. And we can mourn and be pained when we see the power of evil controlling others or victimizing others. And it saddens us deeply. It's not always trivial. Sometimes very profound. But what we must avoid in all of that, of course, is the attitude for which Samuel had to be rebuked by the Lord. Because Samuel was losing sight of the truth that we might fail or others might fail and others might disappoint us, but God will not. We might fail, but God prevails. He continues to be king. Just because Saul's been rejected doesn't matter. God's still sovereign. And that means two things for us for sure. One, he's going to have his plans prevail over the failures of men. God will win despite people, not because of them. But two, since he is sovereign, and since he is going to win anyway, we can never lose sight of the fact that he is calling us to move ahead in obedience. And that's what he was calling Samuel to do in our passage. He obeyed the commands of the Lord. He went from his mourning to obedience, doesn't it? God showed Samuel that even in the deepest, darkest moments of the kingdom of God, and there were those moments, there were those valleys, there were those low moments, God presses forward. And he presses forward with the, the even greater, brighter light of his plans to deliver his people, to save his people for their benefit and for his great name. 
Samuel had to see the bigger picture once again, right? Sometimes, you know, that word myopic where you're just kind of, you're just so focused in on something that you don't see the big picture or you start doubting. Some people have said, when, when doubt, zoom out, right? When you're in doubt, zoom out. Get the bigger picture. Take a look at things from a, a more broader point of view than such a microscopic way of looking at things. So when he did this, Samuel was able to press forward himself in the obedience that he was called to carry out because that's what he had to focus on. And you know, in the deepest of darkest of times, that's when, that's when Christ hung on the cross, right? The sun did not shine. The three out. The, the wickedness of man came to the point of crucifying the Lord of glory. And as he hung on that cross, in that deepest, darkest of times, this was also the time for the light of God's plans to shine. And we need to remember that, right? In times that we might perceive to be dark, deeply dark. And we may indeed mourn, and we do. But God always wants us to see the bigger picture. And that bigger picture is that His plans always prevail. His kingdom is forever and evil is not going to stop that. That's a great reason to profess Christ and to belong to Him and His kingdom. When you mourn for your sin, the forgiveness of God prevails. Indeed, you may mourn for your sin, but you don't have to forget that the forgiveness of God prevails over that. So you can know the joy of the Lord as your strength. When you mourn for your loved one in the Lord, His resurrection promise prevails. When you mourn in failure, grab some perspective of the bigger picture for yourself. When you're in doubt, zoom out. God is preparing you for His service even in your failings. Don't forget that. God was preparing a shepherd of sheep to be the shepherd of His people and He prepared him as a picture of what the good shepherd would do later when He laid down His life for the sheep. God's going to have His way if if His will shall be done, if He's preparing everything so that Christ might have dominion and every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord, then why do you want to buck that plan? Why don't you want to rejoice in that? Why aren't you moved, if that's the problem, to and motivated to the worship of that? Why not submit to that? See, that was the calling of Samuel. He was moved to that as he comes to bring sacrifice. That's what moved him from mourning to obedience even in the darkest of moments. That was the type of the Christ that you and I are called to image ourselves. Now that's our calling as well because, because God's plans prevail. So, does, so, does, so do his values. God's values prevail. 
Samuel comes to Bethlehem, which was, as Micah 5.2 tells us, later was the least of the clans of Judah to anoint the one whom God would choose to replace Saul as king. And as he does that, he has the experience that's the opposite of the Cinderella story where the sisters were ugly. These brothers are not ugly. And they're impressively handsome and strong. And even though we think of Samuel as being discerning, even he shows his weakness here, which shows us that we needed a greater prophet that knew people's hearts better than Samuel, and that was, of course, Jesus Christ. But Samuel sees Eliab, the oldest. He figures this is an automatic. He's the oldest of the clan, the oldest of the, of the family of Jesse. He deserves this, right? He's, he's the lead dog. And he figures this has to be the son of God's choosing. He's a lot like Saul. He looks like a good king. He looks presidential, we might say, today. He, he looks dignified. He looks good on the outside. And isn't image what I most like? Isn't that what is most important? Is to portray a good look. What I look like, what I portray, if I look the part, that's the important thing. Substance is nothing. The outward is everything. That's how the world ticks. It does. You see it all over the place. You're tempted to be like that yourself. I'm tempted to be like that. The outward sells movie tickets. The outward moves people at the voting box. Why should I vote for that person? Because he's black. Because he's white. Because she's a woman. Because he's a man. Because he's Latino. What does he stand for? I don't know. I don't care. Does that matter? You see this nowadays, you know, where... And of course, this you know, the, with the internet and iPads and iPhones and what have you, you can portray this so much more. You can get this information out so much more. People will bejewel themselves uh, as men to look like women, and cosmetically change themselves to look like men or women when they're women or men. Right? All that gender identity going on. People dress provocatively or, or wear their hair a host of ways uh, to show to others that they're somebody. They're worth no noticing. Or someone, they're someone who's noteworthy. Look at me. I stand out in the crowd. That's what I want to do. Why? Because the outside is what matters. In all these examples. And they know that for most people, the outside is what matters to them too. And so they stress that. That can happen in being part of a church. Why do you go there? It's Well, it, 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 is it what the church stands for, first of all? Or is there some secondary superficial reason? Well, that's where I always went. That's where my folks always went. That's where my grandparents always went. That's where my friends go. Or they put on a good show there. What do they stand for? Uh, I don't know. I, I like the actress. She's pretty. She's charismatic. She draws a, a crowd. 
She's popular. What does she stand for? I don't know. Why did I marry that person? Well, he was tall, dark, and handsome. She was very attractive. She was a real looker. What does he or she stand for? I don't know. Does that matter? What do they believe? I, well, I never really thought about that. We just have fun together. Is that important? See, our perceptions, our values, don't always mesh with God's. Saul was the kind of king that people wanted. Chapter 8.22 of 1 Samuel says, it's the king, they wanted a king like the nations. But we see in our passage here, this is the Lord's king. And so when you hear these passages, they're telling us, they're asking us, you know, what kind of king do you want? One like the nations or the Lord's king? You know, Jesus Christ. And there really isn't any sense in having your own when God's choice prevails. Because what impresses a particular person doesn't necessarily impress God at all. Jesus said that God knows our hearts. What, what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. God's values prevail. That's what matters. God chooses the foolish and the weak to shame the wise and mighty, as we hear in 1 Corinthians. Isaiah tells us that there was nothing attractive about Christ physically. His appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. It isn't what is on the outside that is important. We get that beaten into our heads that it is. Proverbs 31 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. That's what matters. We've seen the beauty of which 1 Peter 3 speaks, the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And for in this, in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husband. But it started from the inside, not the outside. We judge easily by appearance. And we want to easily be judged by our appearance. But God knows our hearts, and that's what matters. We, he knows your heart, and he knows my heart. He knows what king you want, he knows what king that I want. And we all want one. The question is, is it going to be the king of the people? The king of appearances? Or the king of God's choosing? Who knows the heart? Well, it's his values that prevail. And they will. And so now why not follow his ways? That's what our passage is saying. So God's plans, values, and also his grace prevail. David's not the first. You know, we go through this whole business. and Well, this guy, this guy, this guy. What's his seven kids? Seven sons. He's the eighth. He should not have expected privilege. His father certainly did not because he left him out in the field to tend the sheep. Well, we got another one, but he's out by the sheep. 
He's the youngest. The word we use for youngest there is translated literally the smallest. Like he's most insignificant. The last becomes first and the lowly becomes the exalted and God's values again are shown to be different from ours and partly because of his grace. And it fits with the choosing of a new king. God doesn't destroy his people in their sin, but he instead raises a king for them endowed with his spirit. The spirit of God rushes upon David for the sake of his gracious promises, which is called his covenant of grace, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of his people, for the sake of these promises, he raises a king. God's prevailing grace is so humbling. It's meant to be. It's meant to be. You know, so much so that it moves us to times like these to come to praise Him. We give Him the time for it because we're so in wonder and awe of what He's done. And it humbles us. It's meant to be that way. God has every reason to destroy us. Every reason. And not to sustain us. And you know, it's, it's tempting to make our lives one big gigantic complaint. That way, the way people know you is because you're just complaining all the time. I mean, that's a temptation, isn't it? That anytime you... I, I know people like that. You know people like that. You know, every time you talk to them, it's all about what isn't good. And yet we easily forget that only because God has raised a king for us, he doesn't destroy us. Instead, he makes us his children. Which, when you, when you understand that, you run to praise him. You don't even think twice about it. You can't help but continually praise him. For that. And that's what people will know you for. And that's why the call goes out to praise this king, praise this God, and to humble ourselves in the eyes of the Lord. We're, we're to praise him for the grace that prevails in the choosing of Christ to be king of salvation, the shepherd of his people, and to see ourselves as part of that, that people through faith in him. And in order to serve the Lord, the Spirit's needed, see? And, and that's, that's what the anointing signifies for David as he gets that oil put on him. The beloved of the Lord. It reminds us of the anointing that Jesus receives in his baptism where he's consecrated to Christ or to God's service. And it reminds us also of the anointing that you and I receive as we profess our faith in Christ and are known as Christians. We're gifted with God's Spirit now to be fruitful, to serve Him humbly in His kingdom until the day when we reign with Christ forever. And in that way, God's grace can, you see, continues to prevail in the lives of believers so that your life doesn't have to be one gigantic complaint. 
Because God's grace is where you're standing, like Romans would say in chapter 5. You're standing in His grace. And that grace continues to prevail in the lives of believers. We can praise God for that when we are believers. What a blessing that Christ was so anointed and that God's people also have that anointing today. More than we do, we must remember that God's plans prevail. And that prevalence moves us to further obedience in Christ. That's what we can't lose sight of. And no matter what society wants to value on the outside, and that you're tempted to suck into that, and I'm tempted to suck into that, it's God's values that prevail in Christ. And we may value the outward, but God looks upon the heart, and so should we. Looking to Christ as Savior, looking to Him for our values as our King. Forget the world and their values. Remember God and His. And how humbly grateful we must be that instead of destroy, destroying us, God's grace prevails and He raises up a king to deliver us. How important when we find ourselves among His people in faith to, to know that deliverance and that opportunity that's been given to us then to serve Him by His Spirit. You know, it's really good news to know that when we fail, when people fail us, that's not true with God. God prevails. His plans, His values, His grace. That's good news for our lives. I hope and pray that's good news that you know. Amen. Let's take a moment to...